and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, presented by JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Nice Jewish Fangirls is a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the geeky things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Tamar Herman. Hello. And S.M. Rosenberg. Hi. So, the first thing we are going to uh, just get out of the way today um, is our very exciting announcement that we made on YouTube a couple of days ago, or when you're listening to this maybe about a week ago, uh, we are going to be doing a panel at New York Comic Con. Yay! I still can't believe it. I'm so excited. I feel like the night before, I'm just going to not be able to sleep because, oh my god. (laughs) Uh, It'll be fine. You'll be great. It'll just be like a podcast just in person. Yeah. I mean, I've been going to New York Comic Con for seven, eight years now. So like... Like a long time, and yeah, I, I think I think 2010 was my first year, and I mean, <laughs> so it's it's very it's very overwhelming to get to do a panel there, but uh, yeah, we will be on um, if you if you are Orthodox uh, and live in the New York area and we're interested in New York Comic Con, then you know that most of the convention is unfortunately uh, over Sukkis, uh, but Sunday is Chalamoid. I'm, I'm such a base Yaakov girl, I'm still like, Cholamide, you know? Cholamide. Um, <laughs> that's, that's so weird when I say it. <laughs> <laughs> On the interim days. <laughs> so we will be there uh, at 2.30 in a room that's supposed to fit like a hundred something people. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Please we come and help that us sew it up. Yeah. Should we clarify that Sukkot is the festival of the tabernacle? So, yeah, that is when we will be doing our panel, and uh, I think it's room 1B03 or something like that, but we'll clarify. Comic-Con have <laughs> I don't think they do, but I'm sure that I'm sure that Chabad will be around the area driving their little, you know, truck Sukkah around. Um, Amazing. So we're super excited for that, and stay tuned for more details. If you have any suggestions at all, be sure and get in contact with us. Obviously, we can't promise that we'll do it, but we are open to pretty much anything, so we're super uh, excited. And, um, yeah, I, I might just start every single show from now on until Comic-Con uh, with that. <laughs> so I, um, I, I approve of that. Okay, so time for our, as usual, current obsessions um i'll start this week um i am currently obsessed with a podcast called lore which is a gosh how to describe it it's sort of uh it's a horror podcast basically uh (laughs) but it's it's got like a historical bent so the narrator tells over kind of uh historical stories but also kind of investigates um like phenomena so like in you know the first episode is about how kind of the is about like the american manifestation of of the vampire myth and they're super creepy and i just really well produced and i really enjoy listening to them uh and i'm i'm just i'm not usually like a huge horror person but these are very compelling and the guy's voice is very like soft and friendly and like he's not trying to scare you with like his presentation so much as just the ideas that he's he's putting out there so i really very much enjoy that podcast like to the point that i've been like maybe i'll be a patreon supporter i'm not sure yet that's a that's a big decision to pull the trigger on but uh, i am thinking (laughs) about it sm how about you okay my obsession is the great british sewing bee 
which I did not know was a thing, but it is a thing, and it is like the Great British Baking Show, except with sewing, and it is amazing, and I might like it more than the British Baking Show, uh, and I am learning so much about sewing, and they also have, they give, they give, uh, well, I can break down the format of the show. It's three challenges each episode. Um, they take they start off the season with like eight or ten people, and then they whittle them down um, as the season goes on, one per episode. And so they have three challenges each episode. And my favorite is the middle challenge, which is they take some garment. Everybody is given a specific garment or like a type of garment, like two patterned shirts or um, they were given, you know, like a woolen skirt or there was one that where they had a pillowcase and a sweatshirt and some blue pants. I don't know. And they have to put them together in a way that is completely different from whatever they were originally and it's just a transformation challenge and it's incredible and the people you know are so friendly and supportive and British and it's it's so great I love watching it <laughs> um, so it's like a low-key um, low-stakes uh, Project Runway basically yeah I mean I've never actually watched Project Runway but I feel like they're aiming I, I don't know Project Runway seems like more high fashion this seems like you know a lot of they're they're making things the the final challenge is um making something to wear um for made to measure for a model um and there was one episode where they brought in without telling any of the contestants they brought in like either their daughters or their nieces or you know a neighborhood a neighborhood close female friend um to be their model um, and it was so adorable when they brought them out and everybody was shocked and reacted and it was really cute. Um, and they also put in history lessons about how certain um, cloths came to be developed and how um, what their uses were over the course of history and how like certain kinds of uh, cotton, like bright printed cotton chintz was uh, actually banned from Europe for a while, or, from, or at least from England, um, because uh, it was so popular that it caused um, sales, it was, imp it was being imported from India, and it was so popular that it was causing sales of domestic uh, produced uh, wool and linen to plummet, and so the government was like, can't have that, and so they banned it, and it became like serious contraband on the black market, which was really cool. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so like all the stuff that I had no idea, and like, yeah, and now I know names for for stitches and for pleats that I didn't know. Like, I really want to try out a box pleat because they look really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and so. Yeah, and then I went on the online fabric store and I bought the stuff that I need for my Kamala costume. And I'm not going to use anything, probably, that I learned from the show in that costume. But it's exciting and it makes me feel like, you know, theoretically I could one day. Tamar, how about you? Uh, okay, so I picked one. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, NCT Life. Uh, I just came back from LA because I was covering a KCON, the West Coast one. I spoke about the New York one a few weeks ago, and anyway, while I was there, there was a band called NCT 127 performing, and they have 
like a series of travel docs. So like the, some of the members of the band, like at different times, go to a different city around the world and pretty much play games to get fed. Like this is how they, <laughs> this is how the show works. <laughs> so they did ones in Bangkok and Chiang Mai and Seoul and uh, Osaka was actually the first one I watched. And they were all just like, you have to do this to get your food. You have to like, the one I'm watching right now is Chiang Mai and they just went to a temple and they had to remember like facts of the temple. And if they got them wrong, then they like couldn't get their snack time. And there was one where they had to like go fishing. And if they didn't catch fish, then they didn't eat. And I was just like watching this, like, I feel bad for these because these are like 20 young 20 something year old guys who are probably super, super hungry all day long. But it's just like a fun way to see the different foods from each city. And like, it's a really fun way to do a travel doc because you have like five or I think one of them has seven teenage guys like just running around Osaka like trying to like capture the flag and you're just like oh this is so cute it kind of like gives me a summer camp vibe when I watch it um but it's also a good way for me to get to learn the band members because I have to write about them so now I know like which one's the dancer and which one's the rapper and and, like which ones writes their lyrics and stuff so um it's like a fun way to kind of humanize them and I think it's much better than any American reality show just because I get to see like different parts of the world Um, and the food. It's mostly a food doc. They actually have one season that's just cooking and I haven't brought myself to watch it yet. They like explore like ancient Korean, not ancient, but like traditional Korean foods through it instead of going to another city. And I'm just like, I have to sit through that one when I have a lot of food. Like, and I am not hungry (laughs) at all. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so like a different series of MCT Life. I think they just filmed one in Chicago because one of their band members is that from there and they were there a few months ago. So um, I don't know. It's just like a stupid little Korean TV show that I'm like and enjoying right now because I really like Korean reality shows. They're not as crazy as Japanese ones. I just need to put it out there. Um, <laughs> and this this is particular. This is more of a like um, get to know the stars type thing. So it's like a good, cute way to kind of mixed travel docs which are so popular right now in korea and also like meet the band members so it's really cute very cool that's it (laughs) the second you said temple i was like transported back to my childhood and watching legends of the hidden temple and like desperately Uh, wanting to be on that show even though apparently it was like a total scam uh yeah definitely it was a total scam no they just were actually they were just i'm watching the one right now that was filmed in chiang mai and i went to chiang mai so i was like oh i remember i recognize that like bridge i recognize that like temple and i recognize this and they're gonna go play with elephants in another upcoming episode and i'm really excited to see that (laughs) it's just really cute that is awesome uh and sounds Mm. adorable but so in terms of like um not adorable things um (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> our uh, nice segue. <laughs> yeah, mm. right. Uh, super smooth. Uh, our main topic for this week is one that we uh, we definitely debated a little bit back and forth, but I think it is a good thing to talk about. Uh, we're gonna talk about Nazis <laughs> in fiction. <laughs> it was my idea. I, I take blame and the credit, whichever way this goes. So, so SM, why don't you tell us why uh, exactly you wanted to get into this topic specifically? Well, I mean, it's very, very current. Uh, there's just like, I can't scroll through my feed on Facebook without seeing like five articles about Nazis and white supremacy. And a lot of them, you know, obviously their, you know, frustrating viewpoints of people, you know, trying to, 
you know, justify what happened and people trying to explain it away and minimize what it, what it is, what yeah, happened. We're recording what, what uh, the, uh, a week and a half about um, after the events in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, yeah. During which the American Nazis and alt-right and white supremacists kind of made their presence heartily known. Uh, and that led to a lot of uh, tragedy in the city. Uh, and a lot of unrest in the country. Yeah. And so they, obviously, white supremacists target people of color, but they also target Jews. Um, excessively. Um, well, I mean, obviously targeting anybody is excessive, but, like, their obsessive focus on Jews and Jewish conspiracies and Nazi slogans of, about death to Jews and, you know, Jews will not replace us and things like that. Um... And it was not fun um, being Jewish and seeing this going on and seeing people defend it and seeing people excuse it or try to explain it away. Um, and I just, you know, I figured people are probably sick of hearing about Nazis and white supremacists, so we should talk about it um, with a, you know, a different spin, um, which is you know, to talk about uh, fictional Nazis and Holocaust uh, representation in fandom and in media, um, because it's obviously a very big topic there too. And I think there's 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 much to talk about and talk about good representation and bad representation in general, and why it's important and who does who does it best although i don't think we're going to have an answer to that i think <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about our favorite nazis guys <laughs> i think we should punch them my favorite non-fictional person about nazis is chris evans <laughs> if you guys haven't been watching his twitter account just go look at it like he is the living breathing captain america like yeah uh, and like they target so him good. Because he's mm -hmm. dated, um, you know, a lot of uh, women of color, and so and Jenny Slate. He was in a very serious relationship with Jenny Slate for a while, who was Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I've seen like neo Nazis posting like you know pictures of him with various women that he's dated, and you know, like, okay, so he's a great person. Your point is, yeah, no. <laughs> Tamar, do you have one you want to start with? Uh, sure. I want to talk about uh, my problems with *Inglorious Bastards* as a Nazi killing movie, and kind of reference a, a short, short, short mini documentary that uh, Lindsay Ellis made. She's a journalist. Um, pretty much, *Inglorious Bastards* always seemed like a really great movie to me because you have, well, you have people killing Nazis, <laughs> which always seems like a really great idea to me. Um, but you also, because you have Americans killing Nazis, and you also have, like, a female Jew killing Nazis, Shoshana, and you have at least one Jew killing Nazis. So, like, as I've gotten older, I started wondering, like, why don't we have a lot more movies about Jews killing Nazis? Every, every movie might have a Jew or two Jews who are killing Nazis, but most Hollywood creations that are anti-Nazi or, or pro-American World War II... Uh, the heroes aren't the Jews. Usually, hero the Jews are victims, and usually the Jews are survivors. And 
um, even Survivor, like, I was thinking about this the other day that it's a misnomer. Like, why do we call them survivors? They were victims of slavery. And I, and I mean, maybe because out of respect for them, we don't want to call them former slaves. But that's what these people were. And I was just really thinking about that the other day in, in light of Charlottesville and, like, what makes someone a minority. But anyway, that was just a tangent. Sorry. Um, and anyway, so I was really questioning this Inglorious Bastards thing because I was like, I really like this movie. I really enjoy this movie. This movie is a good, enjoyable movie. Um for, for something that's a spaghetti string Nazi hunting movie um, with a lot of blood and gore. So if you are queasy, do not watch it. Um, but it's a very enjoyable movie. And I was wondering why, as I've gotten older, I've started questioning this. And I stumbled upon this Lindsay Ellis documentary. It's about 40 minutes on YouTube. You can just Google it. Um, I think it's called Mel Brooks and Satire. Maybe? I don't remember the exact title. Um, okay, so uh, I'll try to put like the link and a screenshot of it on our Instagram, which will be coming soon. Um, but pretty much it's Lindsay Ellis discussing why Mel Brooks was able to satirize race and Nazis in his movies, like Blazing Saddles and the producers in particular the producers is literally about people putting on a musical called springtime for hitler if you have not seen the movie or the play or the other movie uh the remake had a really good performance of springtime with hitler with uh, uh what's his name barrowman in it and he was great john barrowman. john barrowman yeah he was so good as uh the nazi um but yes yeah, so john, Bar- john barrowman was great arian singing about springtime for hitler in germany uh it was so so good I think that was the best part of the movie. Like, I think they did a better job about springtime for Hitler in the new one, but I know some people will get mad at me. Sorry about that. But anyway, so this documentary was pretty much discussing really succinctly how Mel Brooks ha- saw satire as a as kind of a weapon and kind of a way of healing with and dealing with the horror of that was the Holocaust and the horror that is racism and the horror of racism particularly aimed at Jews. And she was saying, the the documentary was primarily about how neo-Nazis have now taken Mel Brooks's films and been like, hey, look, Mel Brooks is a Jew and he was racist, so we can sing about Springtime for Hitler and make it into a really good thing for Nazis. And so uh, she, went, she went really into depth about how that's not the case and how um, Mel Brooks actually didn't really like non-Jewish portrayals of Nazis so like or non-Jewish satirical portrayals of Nazis so like he was comfortable with portraying them for springtime with Hitler where it's clearly a joke but he wasn't necessarily okay with like Charlie Chaplin doing it because it wasn't quite the same um and it wasn't kind of a tool for him to deal with the the horrors of the past well I mean uh, I think Char- Charlie Chaplin uh, was actually concurrent to uh, World War II. Yeah, I, it was happening while Hitler was happening. Yeah, oh, wait, the, so maybe it was, who was it? Was it the Three Stooges? I, I the, there was a different one, Hogan's like the Heroes. one that was showing the uh, the uh, smokestacks and stuff. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. It was um, Life is Beautiful, sorry. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mel Brooks, took, Mel Brooks took a lot of complaints with Life is Beautiful because it kind of tried to show how someone would have a, a lighter humorous view of trying to survive the Holocaust, but he felt, but Mel Brooks has spoken out against it because he felt that an Italian director who has no association with Judaism or victims of the Holocaust couldn't, like, he belittled the the feeling of survivors. So like Mel Brooks wouldn't ever 
show. I was actually going to. That was one of the things I wanted. To, I was going to talk about about how you know life is beautiful and how you know some people don't like it, um, but some people find it extremely meaningful. So I mean I haven't seen it. So this is just like what the the doc was about, and I and the, my main point about this and how it relates to Glorious Bastards after I've gone off on my crazy segue um, was that Mel Brooks and a lot of other Jewish comedians felt that humor was really the only way that Jews have been allowed to really deal with the Holocaust. Like satire is the only form that Hollywood has let Jewish Hollywood kind of deal with. It's like we make jokes jokes in Hollywood and like sitcoms all the time about Jewish guilt and Jewish suffering and like I don't Jewish know Big mothers. Bang Theory. Yeah, Big Bang Jewish Theory. Mothers, yeah. Jewish neuroticism. Big Bang Theory has and Jewish neuroticism they've like done like genetics testing and PTSD is probably something that we all have rampant through our our genes. Um, so so this documentary <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is kind, of, kind of like delve deep into how how satire is the only form of response that Jewish Hollywood really is allowed to have to the Holocaust. Like there has been, I can think of maybe maybe one or two or three. I can think of actually two. So I'm gonna add. I can think of maybe three movies. I can think of Escape from Sobibor and. Um, Denial, not denial. Sorry. Um, Defiance. Defiance. Yes, I just watched Denial on Tisha Buff. I'm very confused. Um, yeah. So I can think of like two movies. So like Defiance and Escape from Sobibor, where like that showed Jews having resistance. But the narrative in Hollywood is generally Jews are victims and Christians save them, or non-Jews save them. And I just remember thinking when I watched this video, like it was about satire and Mel Brooks mostly, but the point of that that like Jews aren't allowed to fight Nazis in Hollywood kind of really resonated with me. There so, are a lot I, of people who don't get that yeah. white supremacists target Jews. People just don't understand. But, and like, that's just a huge failure of education. We are in living memory of the Holocaust and like people still consider the Nazis, not the Jews problem. I don't know. The idea of like Hollywood's portrayal of, killing Nazis doesn't isn't related to Jews and that the like portrayal of most Nazis like I'm thinking of like Hydra and Marvel and stuff like it has nothing to do with Jews and people don't really think and when you say white supremacist it makes it sound like it's only a race like a, a, a skin color thing rather than they just hate everybody who's different like I don't think most people realize that Catholics are also not white according to most white supremacists and or Nazis and communists are technically not so that's because communists <laughs> usually code for their, Jew. Ide- their ideas of race are complete nonsense. But like no both sense. communists and like extreme capitalists, <laughs> like they're both code mm-hmm. for Jews. Um, no, I, I think it's interesting that you bring up Magneto because he was definitely kind of the first character that I really thought of when, you know, when SM raised this topic. And I, I really come down on multiple sides on as to whether or not like you know magneto who in the new um you know the new iteration of uh, the x-men movies is uh or i guess they're not so new anymore because it was also ian mckellen but they've really gone into it uh recently uh is a holocaust survivor who was saved because of his powers uh and his mother his parents you know died in auschwitz and and they really you know they use that a lot and i I, I, I appreciate it to a certain extent. Like, I, I 
enjoy, not enjoy, but I, I appreciate that there is that, um, crossover between, you know, something that, uh, would traumatize and, and change somebody's life in reality, uh, and use the historical reality and, and combine that with, you know, superpowers, etc. Um, I do think it's a little bit of a bummer that, you know, Magneto's the bad guy. <laughs> like, he's, you know, he's he's a complicated character, for sure, but he's pretty much... He's definitely the bad guy. He's definitely yeah. the bad guy, especially in, you know, when, in the Ian McKellen form. You know, once you get to Michael Fassbender, he's a little bit grayer, because mm. they haven't really... But yeah, he's, he's still the, the bad guy, and, like, people have a problem because they, you know, they justify what he does, and no, it's not okay. He's still the bad guy. No, it's definitely not okay, although I do find that idea that, like, he responds in, I think it might be the first X-Men movie. Uh, my my X-Men history is, like, really thin at this point, um, because, because <laughs> I basically, like, watched a couple of them with half an eye, and then I fell in love with um, X-Men First Class. So I've seen, you know, I've seen First Class a good few times. Class. It is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> That's a slight <laughs> exaggeration, but not by much. Um, and then the next two, you know, the, the um, what was it? Days of Future Past was fine. It wasn't, I think it was a good X-Men movie, but it wasn't a good sequel to First Class, which was all about, you know, the team and growing up and, and um you know, uh, Charles and Eric and all that. And then Apocalypse was a, had that an amazing- absolute nightmare. Yeah, well, I didn't see Apocalypse. Don't. It's but, really um, bad. <laughs> oh, I haven't watched it either because it just looks so bad. But Days of Future Past had that amazing scene with Quicksilver, and that's, like, all you need. Yeah. 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 He, he's he's definitely a bright spot. Uh, but so, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I like the idea that he is so terrified by, you know, the concept of, of being rounded up because of who he is that it inspires him to do bad things. Um, I don't know that that, like, I, I don't know that the movie really handles it that well. I I think a lot of my problem with the way, you know, the Holocaust and, and um, I guess Jewish suffering in general is, is treated in, in a lot of these fictional capacities is that, like, sort of what you were saying, Tamar, is that they people make it part of the story. Um, and maybe it's just our, or my, you know, limited perspective of like, obviously growing up, like when there was a story about the Holocaust, it was just about the Holocaust and the Jews who suffered mm-hmm. through that. Um, and to me, it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable to see it like, and you know, this happened, but also like this happened. And like, we don't have to focus on all of Magneto's trauma because he's the bad guy. And like, we have, Professor X and Wolverine and and what's her face with the hair, you know. Um, there's there's a lot going on. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't, but I would definitely put um, Magneto uh, certainly in some of the movies, not all of them, but uh, in some of them as um, and and I would count First Class among those because there's actually a really nice scene of uh, Charles and Eric kind of bonding over a memory of Eric's family. Uh, or his mother lighting Shabbos candles, and um, or maybe it was Hanukkah candles. But oh, I think it was Hanukkah. It was candles. Hanukkah candles, but it should have been Shabbos candles. I think. I think that's what they yeah. were going for. <laughs> they were like menorah. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's a beautiful scene, regardless. And um, yeah, so I I definitely think that is one of the areas uh, in which it's it's well portrayed. Um, 
so SM, what about you? What's your primary uh, thought? Oh man, I have I have a lot of examples. Um, so I just want to mention um, a bunch and then talk about one. So I wanted to mention like life is beautiful um, because uh, it is one of my mother's favorite Holocaust movies. I mean, I don't know. A lot of people have like favorites in that kind of category, but my mom really loves that movie and um we occasionally show it in my shul on uh on tisha above tisha above programming and this you know like there's definitely you know it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea and there is obviously what to complain about in terms of jewish involvement in making it um and the argument could be made that it makes light of the holocaust and whatever but it's also you know it's different than other Holocaust movies. And there are so many, you know, really dire Holocaust movies that, you know, they kind of blend together. And this one stands out because it takes a lighter touch and it shows the very slow buildup. But yes, there are definitely arguments to be made against it, you know, from various perspectives. Um, But yeah, I do think that it, you know, deserves a mention. Um, another movie that I wanted to mention uh, is American History X. This was one time I didn't uh, go to shul on Tisha B'Av and I, I stayed home and I watched American History X. Um, and it is the story of uh, a neo-Nazi played by Edward Norton. Um, this was during my Edward Norton phase and I watched like pretty much everything he's ever made. Yeah, so it was Edward Norton playing this neo-Nazi, and he's got, you know, swastika tattoos, and it begins with, like, a horrific hate crime that he commits, um, and then he is he is locked in prison. And there are also like, flashbacks to him, you know, rabble-rousing and uh, stirring up, you know, uh, race riots in his neighborhood, um, uh, fellow white supremacists, and getting them to attack you know, immigrant shop owners and things like that. Um, and Edward Norton is a uh, is a Yale graduate, and he's an incredibly articulate kind of actor, and he is always able to present himself as very intellectual. And so he's like the scariest choice, I think, you know, to play a neo-Nazi because he can present all of these arguments and all of this dialogue um, as though it is logical and reasonable and it's you know it's scary to watch um and you can see why people would would fall for it and why people would um listen to him and i don't know that it's going to necessarily be very convincing you know to anybody who actually you know believes in that ideology but um it does show you know a more in-depth look at uh racism and white supremacy and bigotry than a lot of uh, portrayals of Nazis, which are just, you know, straight up evilness. Um, And yeah, um, I recommend watching it, although beware there is a, uh, there is a pretty graphic uh, rape scene at one point, and it's probably a lot of language, and there's the the hate crime committed in the beginning is like, really, ah. Um, So yeah, be warned, but um, it is a it is a good piece of cinema. I think he got an Academy Award nomination for his performance. I'm not sure. I don't think he won, um, but yeah, 
It was a very good movie. Um, and last thing I wanted to talk about was um, this is the fun one. Um, <laughs> there is an episode. <laughs> there's an episode of Star Trek, the original series, um, where they land on an alien planet, and all the aliens around them are wearing SS uniforms and Nazi uh, swastika armbands, and they're like, what is happening? And I was just like, oh my god, it's space Nazis. Space Nazis is happening. <laughs> that is what's happening. Um, and like, and then you get to see like the space Nazis are, are, are bad, and, 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 and uh, they're the bad guys, and they're persecuting this other, this other uh, minority race called the Zeons, um, you know, which, you know, is very clearly, you know, a reference, like, Zion, you know, and whatever, and, like, this came out, like, right after, you know, this is in the 60s, this is not very far from the Holocaust, you know, so, like, nobody ever mentions, you know, the Holocaust in the episode, but it was, like, at the time, I'm sure, like, everybody, you know, knew exactly what it was doing, um, and then you have Spock and Kirk, um, played, you know, of course, by Jewish actors, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, um, running around and outsmarting the Nazis and um, beating them. And there's actually one of the bright spots of this episode for me was actually um, a female character that they that they introduced. Most of the female characters on Star Trek, the original series, is just painful to watch because there's just so much sexism in, in like every single scene that there's a woman in. It's just like, I would, you know, a lot of times I was like, I actually would prefer that there were no women in this show because every time they have a woman on the show, it just becomes unbelievably gross. Um, but in this episode, they actually did a great job with um, a woman who, um, she, like, I think she's, like, the daughter of, like, a famous Nazi or, what, or like, famous space Nazi. Um, and But she is secretly working for the other side, and, you know, she teams up with Spock and Kirk. Um, and she uses her celebrity status, you know, to get them into, you know, the Nazi headquarters, and, um, yeah, and then there's, at one point, there is a scene where, like, the, the space Nazi sees Spock, you know, and starts, you know, and identifies him as a Zeon, um, and starts, you know, explaining how his facial features, you know, connote, you know, uh, lack of intelligence and, and you know, uh, savagery and blah, 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 you know, and like Spock just stands there and raises one eyebrow and it's just, it's hilarious. I've read criticisms of this episode, the, you know, that it's, you know, that the, the fact that it doesn't mention the Holocaust or Jews or anything, you know, some, you know, some people were not okay with that. And um, the fact that it, you know, it portrays Nazis as, you know, completely bumbling idiots when, you know, they weren't. Um, some people take issue with that. And just, like, the whole making light of the Holocaust and whatever. Um, but I personally, I loved it. And, you know, it's it's like a classic Star Trek episode for me, uh, personally, as a, as a Jewish viewer. You know, to watch, you know, my Jewish actors outsmarting and beating up Nazis. It's pretty great. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, that sounds awesome. And I mean, I think, uh, interestingly, going back to what Tamara was talking about, that's a similar criticism to what Mel Brooks 
um, was facing. I also watched that documentary and it was excellent, by the way, highly recommended as well. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that idea of like this subject cannot be treated with comedy or, you know, parody or interpretation, um, which I think honestly is a valid you know, criticism, certainly so close to the event as, as they were at the time. Um, but I really like the idea of like, no, the, the, the way you win is by making people look ridiculous, um, which is something that Captain America tries to do. I don't know that it succeeds. What do you guys think? I don't know. I mean, the thing in, in Captain America for me is, is it gets into a very, very messy, uh, you know, correlation between Hydra as, uh, you know, Nazis are, Nazi, uh, Nazis come from Hydra, or Hydra comes from Nazis, or one of those things. Yeah, but they seem to true. be in the movie, yeah, in the movie universe, it seems like Hydra and Nazis are two separate things that are just happening concurrently, and they're, you know, Hydra is using the Nazis for cover, you know, and like, you know, using their resources and whatever, but their agenda is separate from whatever the Nazis are doing. Um, that's how it's in the movies. But I, from, what I, from what I understand, it's different in the comics. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it, that's, I think, an area where I wouldn't necessarily say that, that, uh, you know, it's not terribly successful. I mean, possibly it was back in the early days when the lines were a little bit clearer and Hydra was just you know, the, the Nazi stand-in for Nazis. comic books. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't know nowadays. I think that... I, I wonder, actually, you know, in our in our current political climate, uh, you know, would something like, uh, you know, that story have played out in that way? Like, I mean, I, I remember getting very peeved at a podcast that I listened to um, that was covering the Marvel Universe and, and was saying how, like, hey, it was a really great idea to to make the Nazis, to make Hydra, you know, the bad guys instead of the Nazis because, you know, it's not quite the same and, like, you can't really, like, it's a great stand-in for this and, uh, and like, so you can make it more complicated that way. And I was like, no, they're, they're really trying to uncomplicate it, actually, uh, and, and, and make, make it so they don't actually have to deal... I think when people view it as, like, complicated or not complicated, they view it as, you know, do we have to think about the Nazis as good people or do we not? Uh, whereas what Marvel was thinking of was, do we have to think about the consequences of what the Nazis did or do we not? And we don't if we make them Hydra. So, to me, that was kind of disingenuous, and I, I wrote a long Twitter thread back in the day about that. Um, mm -hmm. But... You know, I, I think, on Agents of yeah. Shield, on Agents of Shield, Simmons at one point, you know, declares very with a lot of conviction that you know Hydra is Nazis, every last one of them. Yeah, she does, and that's that's really awesome. And I think that was actually supposed to be something of a of a meta response to recent developments mm -hmm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah, that we discussed. Meta. <laughs> yeah, we had discussed at some point um, back in the day. I think our our post Pesach episode, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even Agents of Shield, to be honest, has its cake and eats it too. Sometimes, with uh, you know, they they've turned Hydra spoilers for two seasons ago into like a really ancient organization that has gone back centuries and has its origins in a, in a very different place. I don't necessarily have a problem with that as long as it's clear that like the Hydra that we're seeing are Nazis. Like, doesn't matter where they came from, as long as it matters what they are now. Uh, but that line is not always as, as clear as I'd like it to be, which, I mean, I, 
I don't think they have any or many Jewish writers in the current, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty. I mean, they have Jeff Loeb, obviously he's Jewish. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how much in terms of like the creativity are influenced by Jews, but I don't know. I mean, they, there are like no Jewish characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so that's fun. Yeah, Magneto is not Marvel, is he? Well, he is Marvel, but it's um, it's the Fox different... universe. Yeah, it's the X Men universe. Yeah. And they're separate for that. So the last thing I kind of wanted to bring up um was the was well was Harry Potter <laughs> and the parallels <laughs> between uh, Nazism and Harry Potter. Um, or well, no, that's that's not yeah. correct. But the you know the parallels within <laughs> Harry Potter to Nazism and fascism uh, that I think are generally handled quite well, and it's very interesting to see now that we're going back in time with the Fantastic Beasts movies, and we'll be dealing a lot more directly with the World War II parallel that is uh, Grindelwald, um, how that's going to play out. I think I'm a little trepidatious, but I, I, I'm hopeful for now. Um, I, again... They cast young yeah. Dumbledore? I forget. They, they did, yes. He is Jude Law. And it yeah, it wasn't it wasn't you and McGregor. I was sad. No, I, I I wanted Tom Hiddleston. I mean, I want Tom Hiddleston for everything. But uh, but come on, I mean, Tom Hiddleston would have been great. Let's just be honest. Eh. Whatever. No, Tom, Tom Hiddleston, Hiddleston should be king. Grindelwald. Well, I, I, I mean, anybody Tom should Hiddleston be Grindelwald. <laughs> anybody. Other than Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um, that is unfortunate, and we're stuck with it. <laughs> You know who would have been a great Grindelwald? Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, he would have. Anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, you know, the Nazi parallels were more blatant in The Force Awakens than in Harry Potter's (laughs) movies. (laughs) I don't see that at all. In Harry Potter, I mean, there was so much about it. There were, I mean, no, I mean, like, like, thematically, but in terms of, like, the visuals and, you know. Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah, and in, you know, like, so, like, the concepts are all there of, like, racism and fascism and, you know, blood purity and things like that, you know, and those are not at all present in Star Wars, but, um, but definitely the First Order, they went, they went straight for the Nazi imagery right there. Oh, yeah. They, yeah I like, mean, I think thematically, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Star Wars initially, like, they're called stormtroopers for a reason. Like, they, they, right. they were definitely supposed to be parallels there as well. Uh, so they're definitely drawing from the original, from George Lucas's, you know, concept. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of Harry Potter, I was actually struck recently. I was rereading um, um, Chamber of Secrets, uh, where the, you know, the idea of mudbloods gets introduced. And I, right. I was like, wow, like, this... You know, Chamber of Secrets is probably my least favorite book. Same. And it's the worst one. But it but it really get it's really elevated whenever she's talking about this issue and like you can tell that she is channeling this in a way that she feels is important, she being JK Rowling cuz we're on like mm-hmm. pronoun basis. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, no, so so I I really I appreciate what she did and and I, you know, obviously I Going forward, I guess, I would really like there to be more Jews involved and more Roma and more LGBT people and more people of color who were, you know, actually victimized by the Nazis as opposed to, like, the white, strong American men. Um, but I don't think that, like, every every story like that is bad. I mean, Indiana Jones is, is still great, even though it's 
I mean, well, Harrison Ford, I guess, is technically part Jewish, but um, <laughs> uh, I don't think Indiana Jones is. Although, the guy that he's based on is apparently, like, a super religious, like, Noahide. Did you guys know that? No. No idea. Yeah, apparently he's, like, a real, like, Noahide, and he, like, lives a Noahide life, which is very interesting. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what, looking forward, like, what what would you guys like to see from... Um, so this isn't about, like, Nazis, per se, but just, I... Uh, anybody listening now who just hates her, just, like, stop listening. Um, I just read Cassandra Clare's uh, Shadowhunter Academy uh, novella. Um, I guess it was an anthology, but it was really, like, short novellas about the same characters. Um, and the main character in it is Simon from Brooklyn, and he is Jewish. Uh, it seems to be like he's more reformed, but he, like, still had to go to, like, Hebrew school, so it might be conservative. I'm not so nuanced between the differences, um, which is an embarrassment. But I was reading it, and, like, I, when I read the original series, when he's a character, yeah, he's Jewish. And then I was reading this, I was, like, bawling my eyes out. I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a Jewish main character in a YA fantasy novel that's, like, the protagonist. Like, this has never happened before in my entire life. And he, and the books also deal a lot with purity of blood. Um, like, I'm not going to get into it, but pretty much there's the idea that... Um, that half angels are are more are better than half than like warlocks and like vampires and werewolves even though they're all part of the same supernatural world that mortals aren't part of so like literally the first few books in the series is about people who want to just kill all the werewolves and kill all the vampires and kill all the fairies and kill all the warlocks and this guy he's like literally there are scenes where he's he like talks in this in in particularly in the novella He's, like, talking about, like, no, 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 like, don't you guys understand, like, this has happened before in living memory, like, the Holocaust is a thing, don't you guys know about this part of a, of history? And I just was, like, reading those lines, and I was just, like, I have never read a protagonist before who, like, could say, no, stop, don't do this, because I'm Jewish. And I was just, like, sitting there reading this, like, he is literally trying to say, no, genocide is bad, and that shouldn't be so rare in, in modern media like I, I should be able to relate to someone and like he's not like super Jewish like it is a part of his character but it's not like he's like Hasidic or something like and I just I was like bawling my ass out and my mom was like are you okay and I was like no Simon's Jewish and she's just like okay I'm gonna leave you like I don't know how to deal with this right now so I guess I kind of <laughs> I'd like to see more like, it's funny, because we always, like, say, oh, like, Hollywood's so Jewish, but, like, I never really feel a connection to most Jewish characters in Hollywood. Like, if I do, it's usually, like, a negative stereotype. So, like, I kind of want to see, like, Simon was such a positive stereotype, and apparently Cassandra Clare is Persian. So, I didn't know that until recently. So, that's pretty cool. So, like, she's actually Jewish, and not just, like, she's writing about someone Jewish. Um, so, I guess I just want to see more... I feel like, based on the Twitter conversation I was talking about before, and, like this realization of mine that I never had seen a, a character who is a protagonist in like a fantasy novel um, that I just kind of want I wish there was a way for people we won't be able to do it this will never happen just because that's how people think of Jews but I just wish kind of people would realize more that Jews aren't necessarily the same as everybody else who looks the same as us and that like racism in America isn't just defined by skin color but there's more to it, and there's more nuances to it, and Jews kind of fall in that nuanced little area. 
I don't know if I'm making sense anymore. No, yeah, I don't know. absolutely. You guys all have to read this, this, the Cassandra Clare novel. Like, seriously, <laughs> when Simon just gets up and is like, uh, no, genocide is bad, holocausts are bad, and I'm just like, oh, everybody should read it. <laughs> I was just like it wasn't even that good I was just like I'm so lacking in anything to, else to relate to because it's not like it's not like Harry got up in Harry Potter and was like no killing mudbloods is bad because of the holocaust like Anthony Goldstein didn't get up and say uh, Voldemort's bad because he's Hitler like <laughs> I'm just saying like I had never read that before like they were in the book he's literally saying no you, you people who want to like subjugate and put all the warlocks into like concentration camps like this has happened we should not do this like and it was saying because like Auschwitz happened and that had never I had never maybe there's some other books if there are any people please direct them to me but like I want to read some more fantasy series that have Jewish protagonists or just YA ones yeah no I mean I, I totally totally hear you and like I, I don't know Cassandra Clare is not really my my particular dish but uh yeah, I mean, I, 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 a lot of this, I'm, I, I was hoping that we wouldn't necessarily just come back to the conclusion of, like, Jews are underrepresented, ergo, you know, we get, like, movies or, about... Or they're misrepresented. Right, but, but, you know, I mean, that idea, like, you're right, I, there, there are not a lot of Jews in YA fiction, certainly in YA fantasy, you know, one of the reasons why I will still defend Fantastic Beasts, even though it was, you know, very, as we've discussed kind of disappointing on the Jewish representation side is that the Goldstein sisters are Jewish. We have two female Jewish protagonists in a fantasy movie. Uh, and that, that's a rare thing. Um, but yeah, that doesn't really have much to do with Nazis, except that maybe if we, oh, we might, well, you know, right. And maybe if we can fight Nazis in fiction, we can fight them in reality. Oh my gosh. What if, what if Queenie, like, reads all Nazis' minds, she's gonna, like, her brain will fall apart. She's so oh. innocent. <laughs> Somebody write that fanfic. I want No, nobody no, should don't write that fanfic. Well, nobody write that. Okay. Protect me at all costs. We, we no. here come to the awkward uh, point where the only fanfic I like is really depressing and angsty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, SM, do you have any <laughs> final thoughts? <laughs> Oh, well, save I mean, Queenie. Like, <laughs> 2017. Hashtag, hashtag save Queenie. Um, <laughs> but um, I was, I'm personally kind of thinking, like, in terms of what I would like to see in the future, I'm torn between, you know, do, um, do I kind of want a moratorium on, you know, on Holocaust movies? Because, like, enough already? Um, or do I just want, you know, better ones? And what would a better Holocaust movie consist of? I don't really know, but you know, people could. There, there are stories there. There, there are more stories there, obviously, than have been told, because um, they keep telling new ones. Um, but yeah, ones that focus on the Jews and give them a more active role in, you know, either saving themselves or saving their families, or. Um, you know, having some kind of impact, you know, other than being the victims, um, you know, they can be victims too, because, you know, that is part of the story, but it doesn't have to be the totality of the story. Well, I mean, I, I just want to say something quickly, which is, um, you know, when, what was it, the, the zookeeper 
Whites oh. or something movie mm. came out. Um, uh, you know, Tamar, you brought this that. to my attention, and and yeah. it occurred to me that like, why why do we view being a victim as a passive thing? <laughs> you know, like. I don't understand why we can't have movies. I mean, honestly, like, maybe because everyone needs to see a happy ending in Hollywood, like, that we can't have movies about the camps. Like, there needs to be a positive to it. But I'm sitting here, like, the survivors just surviving is a a story that should be told. And I don't think there are so many Holocaust movies that are literally just about people surviving. Like, they're about having to be a hero is more than just shooting up someone or saving lives like you have to be a hero to yourself also and I think it'd be great if some holocaust movies were actually telling that story yeah no I agree yeah. and, I, and I think that we're you know we're stuck in this very like I mean part of it is a storytelling telling thing that you want your your characters to be active but at the same time like why why is somebody living through the camps or living in hiding or or any of a million other situations that Jews were in in the Holocaust, like, why is that viewed as a passive thing? That, like, that, it, by definition, they're the passive ones in the situation, and the people, you know, the the Gentiles who come in and save them are the active ones. Like, I don't, I don't think it has to be a binary like that. Like, you can have people who, you know, people have plenty going on, like, their brains don't turn off and they don't turn into automatons just because they're like, I can't get out of this situation, you know, there's still a lot of stuff going on psychologically and, and the daily work of survival or, you know, not survival. Um, yeah, it's just, I think that, you know, when you have movies that, you know, are about, you know, some, some non-Jewish or white savior, it tends to focus the bulk of the movie on that person and their struggles and their inner life and, not at all on, you know, the, really the people that they're saving, you know, just incidentally, you know, you find out some about a little bit about those people, but it's not a, a movie about them. It's usually about the uh, the Gentile savior. I'm just thinking of Schindler's List and like, it definitely, I think for as far as savory movies go, it has many more Jewish characters who kind of have personalities than many other ones do, where it's mm-hmm. like one, one savior, one usually white Christian savior, saves the Jews and there's like maybe one token Jewish character while in Schindler's List there's a lot more Jewish characters but I always find Schindler's List interesting because like it is about like yeah the, the white Christian savior but at the same time like he's also a Nazi and that I think that last that last scene you've both seen it right yeah no I okay. haven't actually it's on oh. it's on YouTube for free um just I saw it up. when the uh when I went to, to Poland and you uh, know toured I, the camps and stuff mm. Um, yeah, it's free on, on uh, YouTube, I think. Um, so you should watch it one day. It's really, really powerful, but like pretty much he was part of the Nazi party, and then at the end, when the war ends, and he's pretty much saying to the people he saved, like, you can go home now, or like, you should leave the factory, he he says, I have to go turn myself in. Like, he was a Nazi, the, like, a, part, a member of the Nazi party the whole time. And I always remember thinking, like, as I'm watching that part of the movie, like, it's so interesting because he was a savior while at the same time being literally a villain and I think that story kind of like that's why the movie does like I don't feel like so weird about that one (laughs) because it is more complex than just the the good person saving people's story like it's aside from the fact that it's actually true um but like that you kind of like see the change of human being like the movie's more about human nature than I think 
uh, yeah, it's about like you know how he may have originally you know started you know saving people for his own for interests, you capitalism, know, and then yeah, yeah, and then it became be- because he cared about these people. Yeah, so um, I always think like that movie is a little bit different than because like I feel like a lot of the the Christian savior ones or like the Holocaust savior ones, a lot of them are like, oh, I'm a good person, and like that Schindler's List is not about him being necess- innately a good person, but it's rather about how how he becomes a good person um so i don't know i just feel like the end of it where he like has the nazi like where he's saying i'm a nazi i always get really into that and i like sit there thinking like so were you a savior or were you a perpetrator and i feel like that's something that we could see more of in hollywood like the question of like how could you have done more as a as a savior i guess in the Holocaust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also don't want, like, I'm kind of tired of, like, if they, you know, there, there are a lot of movies that, you know, attempt to humanize and, you know, sympathize with Nazis, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I do think, that. you know, it's, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm, I do think it's a worthy, you know, endeavor in that it's important to show that, you know, anybody can become a Nazi, anybody can go Nazi, you know, like any, you know, it's it's not just, you know, people aren't just necessarily born evil, you know, and like people aren't pure evil in all ways all the time, you know, and so like... Not like a radio because, station that has Yeah, music. but just because, yeah, but just because, you know, somebody might be nice to their family doesn't mean they can't be, a, you know, perpetrator of genocide, you know, um, and, you know, it's the same thing, you know, in general with abusers of, like, you know, just because the person is, you know, nice and friendly in public doesn't mean that, you know, they didn't abuse their wife or whatever, you know? Um, but, yeah, at the same time, it's, like, you know, more stories about Jews and less stories about, you know, sympathetic Nazis, you know? Can we just have, like, you know, swing the scales the other way? Yeah, no, I, I suspect... <laughs> No, I suspect that that will be going out of vogue for at least a little while at this point. The um, sympath- sympathetic Nazis? Yeah, the sympathetic Nazi trope will uh, become less popular. I don't, I don't really think so. No? I don't, no, People I don't know. The bad boys. If, if con- yeah, and if Confederate can be made in this state of things, which I still am wondering if they will do it, because honestly, after Charlottesville, they should. I mean, like, they shouldn't have in the first place, but now, after Charlottesville, if they do it, they're morons. <laughs> On a more hopeful... Nicer note, New York Comic Con, save the date if you're coming. Be there and be square. I'm still October hoping... 8th. October 8th at uh, 2.30. I'm really, really hoping that they release some more Sunday tickets. I don't... I, they probably won't, but I, I'm hoping that they will and that people can, can pick up some more to come because we, all of us, have people who didn't... weren't planning on going to Comic Con and then it was like, hey, we're doing a panel and they're like, great, I'll come, but no tickets are available. <laughs> My brother is still convinced he can get a press pass. Oh, but, good uh, luck. Good luck. <laughs> he doesn't even cover pop culture. Yeah, no, but he's like, I'm just gonna contact them and tell them that I'm a reporter covering this one panel and I'm sure it won't be a problem. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Alright. Well, we'll see how that works. Tamar, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tamar Writes. I actually got a lot more active on Instagram with Instagram Live this past week, so you can people can start following me there. It's not just pictures of my niece anymore. Um, and you can find my articles primarily on Billboard.com. And SM, how about you? 
Um, you can find me on Facebook, and I actually had an article published in Tablet uh, this week. There was a series about uh, rabbis' kids that I wrote for. And you can find me online at Ink as Rain on Twitter and on Instagram, I guess, if you'd like to. You can also find my writing at hypable.com. And as for us at Nice Jewish Fangirls, you can visit us at jewishcoffeehouse.com and check out their other amazing podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls. You can email us at nicejewishfangirls at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, as always. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. We're Nice Jewish Fangirls. And we may have an Instagram account by the time we release this Maybe. episode. Where we're we'll thinking and about... You can, and you can review us on iTunes. Please review us on iTunes. Please review us on iTunes. We haven't gotten a review in a long time. And you know what, guys? The next person who uh, reviews us, a positive review, if you write something anti-Semitic, we're not going to read it, but um, <laughs> if you leave us a good review, we will read it on the air and give you a shout-out. Uh, yeah, so that is us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't let the Nazis get you down, guys, and live long and prosper.